The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Fascinating interviews and compelling conversations. Be present. The Diane Ray Show. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm so glad you could join me today and be present for the next hour. I'm Diane Ray, and today I'm going to have uh, kind of a intense and heavy conversation here about what is actually going on in the world today and what we can really do about it. I was on a little trip just uh, over the weekend visiting some family and on the plane ride coming back, I had a long five hour flight. So I was able to do a lot of reading and I was reading Carolyn Baker's book, Collapsing Consciously, Transformative Truths for Turbulent Times. And let me tell you, this book really hit me over the head (laughs) while I was on the plane and just opened my eyes to where we really are in the world, what's really happening and what we can do about it. And I realized myself that I've been just kind of putting my head in the sand, trying to feel good about it, not really feeling that I had any power to do anything about what's really going on around me. And Carolyn says, you know, don't despair. There is hope and there are things that we can do about it to try to survive the turbulent times that we're in. So you're not alone. If you're like me, if you feel like things are out of control and falling apart, you're right. And as I found out, as as I read more in the book, you know, this time is a pivotal point in our human history. And we're able to see in real time the collapse of industrial civilization. Now, that sounds like a really heavy thing. We're going to unpack that a little bit as the hour goes on. But this is really happening. You know, we know climate change is, is a real issue. Humanity and the way we feed, fuel, and finance our societies and economies is pushing nature and the services that power and sustain us to the brink. You know, we're really being pushed to the limit here. We're experiencing a dark night of the soul for our species. I just read a report recently from the WWF World Wildlife Foundation, you know, that populations of animals, birds, fish, reptiles, and amphibians have on average declined in size by 60% in just over 40 years. I mean, we are losing whole species of animals here. This is really frightening stuff. You know, what what can we do about it? Well, we're going to find out a little bit today. Carolyn Baker is a voice leading us out of the darkness, telling us not to despair. And Carolyn explains our current situation in a way that lets us know how dire the situation is, but still giving us hope for the future. And Carolyn's an author, speaker, and activist who presents webinars and online workshops, as well as live events to continue the conversation for people looking for guidance and meaning to survive these turbulent times. And Carolyn is here today to share some of her views and give us some steps we can take to survive and thrive in these times right now. And you can find out more about Carolyn online at carolynbaker.net and that's C-A-R-O-L-Y-N Baker. So Carolyn, welcome to the show here today to Unity Online Radio. And I'm so glad you can join me. Well, thank you so much for having me, Diane. It's wonderful to be here. Well, I'm telling you, your book really was a kind of a wake up call for me. I know it's been out for uh, a couple of years. I think this book was first released in what, 2013? Yes. Collapsing Consciously? Mm-hmm. 
Yes. And so, I mean, it's so relevant, you know, even a few years later, everything that you're writing about is what we're experiencing right now, day to day in real time, as we're watching, you know, all over the news, every news channel, CNN, Fox, MSNBC, you name it, it's kind of just all, you know, rolling out there and happening, you know, and you're asking people to wake up and get their heads out of the sand regarding the current condition of the planet. So, I mean, let's talk about it. You know, a lot of times on on radio shows, you know, especially on uh, Unity Radio, I mean, you know, we try to keep everything positive, but, you know, there's that nagging feeling that, you know, you can't really keep telling yourself all is well, everything's great, and it really isn't. So how bad is it really? <laughs> Let us know. Well, um, I don't, I don't want to try to put all of that into just a, a little encapsulated sentence. It's a complicated thing, um, but it is really dire. And particularly when we look at the climate situation and uh, all of the research that has been done and um, the, the books that have been written in the last four or five years on the potential of human extinction. We're seeing animal species go extinct all around us very rapidly, as you mentioned in your introduction. And we're also looking at the possibility of the extinction of our own species. But I want to put all of this today as we talk into a larger story. So let me just let me just put that out there right right away so that so that you understand my focus isn't just on how bad it is and measuring that. But so why is this happening now? What is the message here? What can we do not just about it, but with it? That's the focus of my work. And one of the things you mentioned in the book that I thought was interesting is that, you know, rather than have kind of a feeling of panic of, well, how can we stop it? What can I do about it? You kind of suggest that we should kind of fall into it, right? To not really so much, I mean, try to stop things as we can, but that that feeling of panic that, you know, there's something that we that we can really do that that we shouldn't really act in that way. You know what I mean? What well, can you clarify that just a bit, Diane? So instead of just trying to to fight against things all the time and, and push against things that we should kind of, I guess, roll with it, I guess, or or see how things are going to work out. I mean, that was one of the things that I picked up from reading the book in trying to survive turbulent times. Yeah, that we should you know, like fall into it, I guess, is, is what I'm saying. Does that well, make sense? Yeah. And the larger story is what, what I want to talk about for a moment. Um, the thing about this book um, I presented, uh, I've always wanted to write a book of 365 meditations, you know, for every, one for every day. And so when I presented the manuscript to uh, North Atlantic, they said, well, look, let's let's do a book, a hard copy book, where we have um, 52 weekly meditations and then your 17 essays that you've given to us. And then we'll have a separate online ebook that has the rest of the meditations. 
So I just want to let people know that, yeah, they can read this hard copy that that you read and sort of rocked your world. Um, but then in addition to that, there's these other meditations, one for every single day um, that starts with a quote from some great thought leader um, throughout history. You know, maybe it's um, maybe it's Socrates, uh, maybe it's Oscar Wilde, maybe it's Virginia Woolf, you know, uh, many, many folks. And then I just riff off of their quote uh, in one page. And it's kind of a nice little way to start your day as you navigate these turbulent times. But how I want to answer your question here in terms of framing this in a larger story so, you know, human evolution uh, has come to this place where we are now destroying our planet. You know, um, animals are smart enough not to soil their nests, but we're not. And, and, and so what's going on with us? Um, a lot of great people that I respect are looking at this as a planetary right of passage. And I'd like to just read you a quote from a Buddhist teacher, Richard Tarnas, which I think summarizes what we're experiencing like nothing else I've ever heard. He says, I believe that humankind has entered into the most critical stages of a death rebirth mystery. In retrospect, it seems that the entire path of Western civilization has taken humankind and the planet on a trajectory of initiatory transformation into a state of spiritual alienation, into an encounter with mortality on a global scale, from world wars and holocaust to the nuclear crisis, and now the planetary ecological crisis, an encounter with mortality that is no longer individual and personal, but rather transpersonal, collective, planetary, into a state of radical fragmentation, into the wasteland, into that crisis of existential meaning and purpose that informed so many of the most sensitive individuals of the past century. It is a collective dark night of the soul, a deep separation from the community of being, from the cosmos itself. We are undergoing this rite of passage with virtually no guidance from wise elders because the wise elders are themselves caught up in the same crisis. This initiation is too epical for such confident guidance, too global, too unprecedented, too all-encompassing. It is larger than all of us. It seems that we are all entering into something new, a new development, a crisis of accelerated maturation, a birth, an entrance into a profoundly different way of being in the cosmos. That's Richard Tarnas from his book, Earth as initiate. And you said he was a Buddhist teacher, is that right? Yes, that's correct. And one of the things that I've noticed about Buddhism is really the practicality of facing our own mortality, which he mentions in the piece that you just read. And that's something that we just don't want to do, is it, as Westerners, or and particularly Americans? Well, we, we absolutely don't. We're a death-phobic culture. We're a grief-phobic culture. Um, and yet, for those who have a spiritual path or have been on a spiritual journey for many years or even just a short time, uh, one of the things that we come to eventually is that 
This journey is all about the death of that which does not work, the death of the human ego and its logic and its control and all of the things that have led to the situation we're in now and a rebirth and a transformation that allows us to potentially become a new kind of human being, a new species. And that's really kind of the the silver lining, I guess, or the light at the tunnel and what I was trying, like to try to clarify what I was asking you before, like as we accept that death is a, a part of life or when you're you're dealing with someone going through that situation, rather than fight it, you want to try to accept it, right? And and kind of fall into it because the, at the, the end result will be a better a better experience. Well, death is a superb and probably the most important rite of passage. Birth is a rite of passage. Um, having a child is a rite of passage. And death is certainly a rite of passage. And so the, the question in all rites of passage, the spiritual question is, how can I be transformed? How can I be remade by this experience? And if we just fight, fight, fight and keep our heads in the sands, sand, we miss the opportunity that the crisis, whatever it is, in our personal lives or on the planet, is presenting to us. The crisis is calling to us. And, for example, in climate change, the question is, how can I be transformed by a climate catastrophe that I can't necessarily change? And what difference will that transformation make in my relationships with everyone and everything? Right. And there really is, or well, there's people like you, but there really is not a lot of people out there teaching us what to do as, as a collective, you know, like who, who do we turn to, to teach us to go through this, to go through these changes? Because even that's a struggle for a lot of people. We don't, we don't like change. Right. Right. And, and so, you know, we're coming up against a way of looking at the world, a worldview that no longer serves us. You know, uh, I talk about the collapse of industrial civilization, and I think you said something like, what does that even mean? Well, it means that the paradigm in which we have built our civilization is no longer working. For example, this assumption that we can have infinite growth on a finite planet. You know, we would need 25 more planets to handle the growth that we're trying to promote at this moment. And so um, you're right about we don't have wise elders like Richard Tarnas said in the, in the quote. We don't have wise people around who've maybe been through something like this before uh, to guide us. And so that's part of what my work is, is to kind of be that elder, to step into that place of elderhood, to kind of guide people and accompany people, whether it's through my workshops, my online courses, spiritual uh, direction. Um, coaching, whatever that might be, the books that I write, um, that's what my work is all about, is how do we go through this together and become a new kind of human being as a result of it? It's not pretty. I'm not trying to give it a silver lining. It's tough. It's a dark night of the soul, and I say a dark night of the globe, as, as, as we mentioned earlier. Um, I, I want to share 
uh, something that uh, that Stephen Jenkinson taught me. Stephen Jenkinson is a Canadian author who writes a lot about death. And he wrote this wonderful book a couple of years ago called Die Wise. And I interviewed him a couple of years ago, and I was talking about climate catastrophe. And he stopped me and he said, let's dissect that word and how and how it came to be. You know, he talked about the the first um, syllable, the prefix in this word, kata, C-A-T-A. He said that that's a Greek preposition that meant to go downward and inward and that it implied a descent and a descent for a purpose. And then he took the second syllable, strophe, which is a suffix that relates to the early technology of weaving. So the fuller meaning of the word is that a catastrophe is a descent with a path that has been woven before you were aware of it and that you didn't seek. And I think we are looking right now at a divine catastrophe. I'm not saying caused by the divine, but I'm saying it's a divine opportunity. And our work now, I believe, is to look squarely at it and then to to be with and other people, talk about it and work with other people, support each other in making this descent that that actually Mother Nature, our planet, is asking us to make. So really, the descent is inevitable. You know, what? so what's happening is, is, I guess, kind of a natural descent of change, right? So as we go through all of this, we're, we're going down. But really, as you say in the book, we have to go through it, right? To right. experience it, to get out on the other side. Well, as Carl Jung said, uh, the way out is through, not over, under, around, uh, you know, some other direction, but the way out is through. That's the way all spiritual journeys work. You know, uh, you know, we all want transformation, right? We all want to become more evolved, more enlightened, and we can't do that without facing some form of pain and going through some things that we don't like. Now, what we're facing right now is unprecedented for our species, but it's calling us loudly to open to not lay down and put on our pajamas and, you know, get under the covers and say, all will be well, but, but to open to, you know, what, what is this calling me to? Well, yeah, it's calling me to become a new kind of human being, but it's calling me to express compassion. It's calling me to do work in my community to make things better for other people. You know, maybe I can't solve the big picture, Maybe the entire species can't solve the big picture, but there are things I can do in my community. You know, my friend Andrew Harvey um, wrote a wonderful book called A Guide to Sacred Activism. And in there, he talks about, you know, what calls you to activism? He said, allow your heart to be broken and pay attention to what breaks your heart. What gets you up at three o'clock in the morning and, and keeps you from sleeping that's breaking your heart? 
Maybe it's work with animals. Maybe it's work with children. Maybe it's um, the ecology of your community that you're you're working to make better. Uh, maybe it's a water crisis. You know, there are gazillions of, of uh, causes that are calling us. We will never lack uh, the calling to these to these efforts um, to make our world better. So to open to, I wrote an article a few years ago called When Surrender Means Not Giving Up. So we surrender to the call. You know, I can't do anything right now about the big picture, but I can do little things in my community that make a difference. Right. There was something I love that you mentioned, Andrew, and I know you've done a lot of work with him. And I did read that book, A Guide to Sacred Activism. Uh -huh. And one of the things I really love that he mentioned in the book was kind of making the comparison to where terrorists have sleeper cells. Yes. Of little organizations yeah. of people that believe very strongly in something and that we should kind of take that model. Mm -hmm. And just like you're saying, work within our own communities, even in some small way, if it's you know, that I love animals or I want to help the homeless or something in in our community is really the best way to participate as we're going through this downward spiral. And and I have to say, too, that your book was written in 2013. And, it, and it's interesting reading it now in, in our current climate with our current administration, what's happening. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, Carolyn is a prophet. Like everything, you know, everything that you were saying and describing in the book is happening, you know, the attack on uh, on immigrants and, and turning against other people and, and we want them out. And what's happening politically was everything that you, you described in 2013. Well, you know, if you seriously look at the paradigm of Western civilization, the assumptions that it's built on, um, it, it really doesn't take rocket science to figure out where it's going and the damage that it's going to do and is doing right now. Um, and that's not working anymore. And it's just digging us into a much deeper hole. Um, I, I was on vacation last week and uh, I went down to New Mexico to spend time with some friends, but I also went down to El Paso, Texas to spend time with another friend. I used to live there a long time ago and I saw with my own eyes um, the people, the immigrants that were being kept literally in cages under the underpass. And they're all dispersed now, and I think they've gone to processing centers, but the overflow was so huge that they didn't have enough people to, to deal with it. And these folks were there day and night in temperatures that went down to 40 degrees at night, sleeping on dirt. They didn't have sleeping bags. They didn't have anything. And I look at this and I'm going, what makes our policy so different in this moment than Nazi Germany? You know, this is terrifying. And, and how can we do this to each other? So, you know, I, I have friends who have law degrees and, and they're working to uh, go down to the border and help people with migration or they don't even have to leave their town in many cases. Um, there's always something we can do to, to make this world a better place, to invest our gifts in wherever they're called to be used. And just being able to see that must have been so, um, you know, unbelievable for oh, you, you know, to, and, and absolutely the 
connection that you're making with how people were able to be so callous and to look on another human being as less than yes. that we're locking people up and we're we're putting them in cages. And it seems like we're just we're becoming so um you know, there's a wall around everybody that we're not seeing any of this. We're not caring for our other human beings. And you keep hearing from all these other spiritual teachers, you know, well, we're all connected and all of that. And that's all such a great idea philosophically, but I'm I'm not seeing it really happening on the ground. Like, are, are we really, you know, if we're able to treat people in that way? Well, no, we're not. And I think that the wall, <laughs> you know, right. Is- between uh, the United States and Mexico is really a metaphor for the walls that we've built built around ourselves that separate us from each other. Um, And so we need to break those personal walls in our personal communities and um, and reach out and get involved. You know, if we allow ourselves to really absorb the seriousness of our situation the direness of it, we're going to have to have people to talk to. We cannot go through this alone. Um, We can't go through it with our head in the sand and we can't just open our eyes to everything and be by ourselves. We've got to have support. So we need people that we can talk about these things with. Um, we We need people that we can work on these things with and create these little communities of making a difference around us in our own locality. And it seems that in this day and age, it would be easier to do because we are so connected. But then I see that even though we are so connected with the internet, our phones, everything, sometimes it's hard to disconnect, that we're we're still, our souls are still disconnected, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely does make sense. Um, one of the things that stands in the way, and and this is what I and, and Andrew have been working on a lot in our own separate works, is um, shadow work. You know, there's a statistic that I read recently that 98% of intentional communities, people that come together and say, oh, we're going to live together, we're going to work together, we're going to do all these wonderful things together, 98% of those fail. And one of the reasons those fail is not because we don't love enough, but because we all have a human shadow. We have wounding. We have issues that stand in the way of our really connecting. So it's much easier to build walls. It's much easier to be separate. And if we come together in these groups to make a difference, our shadows are going to come up. And we got to know how to deal with them. And everybody in the group needs to know how to deal with them, which can be a wonderful healing process. It can deepen folks. It can open our hearts and it can make us, uh, you know, give us the capacity to do really good work that makes a difference. Well, we're just going to take a short break here in a minute and continue to talk about this. This is so fascinating with Carolyn Baker and what's happening right now in our world today, how we can navigate these turbulent times. I'm Diane Ray. We'll come back in just a minute. Thanks for listening. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world.
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. Unity is proud to announce the first-ever New Thought Walden Awards, honoring 27 leaders who are helping to change the world. Some are well-known, but most are unsung heroes. They care about spirituality, healing, interfaith understanding, caring for the earth, and social activism. Read about them in the September-October edition of Unity Magazine, or go online to waldenawards.com. Congratulations to all. Give someone you love the gift of inspiration with a subscription to Unity Magazine. Each issue has interesting articles and compelling interviews from some of today's most prominent spiritual thought leaders. Explore new ideas in health, science, spirituality, and a lot more. Send gifts to your family and friends and save $7 off the subscription rate. Get a one-year subscription for just $14.95. This offer ends on December 31st, so go to unity.org to find out more. Discover the wisdom of Charles Fillmore and other legendary Unity teachers with Reverend Bob Brock and Unity Classic Radio. Every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Central, Bob shares original radio transcripts from the Unity archives with truth students worldwide. Explore these timeless teachings and learn how to apply them to your life today. Listen live or on demand. You can also connect with Reverend Bob on his Unity in Action Facebook page. Tune in every Tuesday here on unityonlineradio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Be Present, The Diane Ray Show. I'm Diane Ray. Thanks for listening today. We're back continuing the conversation with Carolyn Baker and how to navigate these turbulent times. And if you haven't read Carolyn's book, Collapsing Consciously, Transformative Truths for Turbulent Times, I advise you to pick it up and give it a read, because as I was just telling Carolyn during the break, um, the book has been out since 2013. I'm reading it now, you know, in 2019, and I'm saying you, you're you a prophet. Everything you're saying is true. Everything's happening and continuing down the trajectory that we're going into. So you know, wake up people. It's time, time to get woke. 
as uh, the kid the kids are saying these days. So, Carolyn, uh, before the break, we were talking a little bit about you know kind of taking a look at at our own shadow, um, which I think holds people back from from reaching out and working with other people in a collaborative way to kind of move us through what's happening, not just pull everybody down. And I mean, we're, we're just afraid. Are we afraid to look at those places in ourselves? What, what makes me the same as the, the person in that, in that cage at the border that's being held? Yeah. Um, I wrote another book. Uh, I've written many books on the global crisis, but uh, one that I wrote in 2015 is called Dark Gold, The Human Shadow and the Global Crisis. And I have an audio form of it on my website. You know, we all have a shadow. And and Robert Bly many years ago described what the shadow is. It's kind of like, it's a metaphor. It's kind of like a long black bag that we carry behind us. And we just keep stuffing things in there that we don't like about ourselves. You know, like, like, you know, I'm so I'm a little bit dishonest. So I throw that in the bag and I don't look at that. And then I tell myself, oh, I'm totally transparent. Um, Or, you know. Any anyone any kind of quality that you would name, uh, we, we stuff in there. If that's not me. That's not me. And so it goes into the bag. But the thing is, as we drag this bag along, those things don't just lay there. We have to do two things with that shadow material. Either we project it on other people and accuse them of these very things that are in our black bag. Or somehow that shadow explodes and we act it out in some way. You know, like we've been we've been shoving in the bag, you know, well, I don't really love my wife, you know, but I'm not going to look at that. And then all of a sudden an affair explodes and we go, oh, wow, where did that come from? You know, and I could name a million examples of this, but we all carry this shadow and we carry not only a personal shadow, but a collective shadow. Look at the collective shadow of the United States, the genocide of millions of Native Americans, uh, slavery, bringing slaves to this continent four or five hundred years ago. These are shadow issues that we've never dealt with as a country. And and so, of course, then we project this shadow onto other people, this fear of immigration, this fear of these brown people, these black people it is all about, you know, our own shadow material and what we're afraid they're going to do to us. They're going to take away our stuff. You know, they're going to rape our daughters. They're going to whatever you just fill in the blank. And, and it's a projection, and we have not come to terms with our own wounding and our own fears, and that's very much of what my work has been about over the years and continues to be. Is to have us take a real look at, at ourselves, at our own fears, is that right? Yes, yes. And, re- and you write uh, in the book, which I, I love some of these ideas here, that really the way to navigate all of this is resilience. Like the people that are a little more open to change and open to some ideas are the ones that are going to continue to survive and thrive. And you offered some ways here to develop emotional resilience, you know, as we're going through this whole unraveling of of what's happening. And it's kind of hard. I mean, I've had to, a little resilience. I mean, I hate to think of it as putting my head in the sand, but I mean, I, you know, I had been watching nonstop, you know, cable news for months uh-huh. and I had to, and I had to kind of stop that, yeah. you know, or, yeah. or at least unplug from it for a little bit. I mean, I want to know what's happening, but just, 
it, it really, it sucks you dry. It beats you over yes. the head to see yeah. all of the stuff that's happening that I feel that I have no control over. I, I can't, I can't control it. So how, how can we develop resilience with those kind of feelings, the, those feelings of powerlessness? Mm -hmm. Okay. The first thing is, you know, I, I define resilience as the life-giving ability to work with these emotions and to not let them take us into despair, but to look at them as an opportunity for growth. Okay, so I'm feeling this particular feeling, and why? And where does that come from? And what is this stirring in me? And then what, what might I be able to do about it? Yeah, I think we often tell ourselves, oh, I can't do anything about this. And often that's true. But there are smaller things that we can do. Can we just be kinder to somebody? You know, when we go in the store, can we just be kind to the checkout person? Can we just take a second to look at them, to be in their presence and be present with them and feel with them? You know, I don't know this person, but, you know, she's probably or he's probably here because, you know, they can't maybe get a better job or they're getting paid a lower wage than they than they really deserve. And, you know, what is their story? What is their wounding? And be kind to that person. You know, this is all about making us more sensitive to all living beings on our planet and really practicing compassion. And that's something that's so lacking. I mean, I see it every day. And especially when you travel, I mean, I try to remember that oh, yeah. when I was flying yesterday, you know, I was telling you as I was reading the book and, uh, you know, just watching how, you know, some of the the stewardesses were treating the customers and, and vice versa, you know, and, and you're right, just even little things like that, being kinder to people just in your daily interactions. And that's being more aware, right? I mean, we just have to wake up and be a little more aware and present in, in what we're doing every day. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And seeing this as an opportunity. And I, I really, really uh, support folks in taking a break from the news if they need to. I'm with you. I watch cable news a lot because I produce um, a daily news digest that has a uh, an economic section, an environmental section, and I, de I deal with all of these issues every single day. And then I have an inspiration section at the end that kind of balances that out. But, you know, I, I see people becoming overwhelmed by the news a lot. And, uh, you know, in coaching, I invite them to kind of take a break from it uh, because you can get overwhelmed. And, um, you know, it's really important to be informed, but it's... It's also important, I think, to at times compartmentalize. That word has gotten, uh, you know, a really bad rap over the years. Like, oh, we shouldn't compartmentalize. But in that situation, I think it's important to do that um, so that we're not being sucked dry. That's not going to help us be resilient. That's not going to help us be of service to other living beings. So, you know, to take care of our take care of ourselves around these things is very, very important. No, I agree. I mean, I've had to unplug, you know, just for a couple of days. And then you can be sure the minute you plug back in, there's going to be some new, you know, thing. And it yeah. just seems now like the the decline is at a faster pace, mm -hmm. you know, over the past few years, you know, every day, it seems like there's something new. I mean, and, and I know, you know, some things that I can do, you know, to try to be more resilient, to try to be more 
um, you know, compassionate in, in my own community, you know, and of course vote and things like that, that are, are very important, but yeah, sometimes just the overwhelm is, is too much and you just have to unplug a little bit, but you also write about something that I thought was interesting and you talk about gratitude and, you know, sometimes that's a really tough call to try to feel grateful when you feel like everything is just piling on and, and there's no hope in sight. And what, what can I be grateful for? A lot of people have found solace and inspiration in gratitude in that, you know, maybe a daily gratitude journal, even just taking a few minutes to be grateful for what you do have is a really great tool. Yeah, there's a wonderful organization online called gratefulness.org. Um, and I encourage people to go there uh, every day. There's a little a little quotation or comment about gra- gratitude and some some really neat articles on there about gratitude. Um, but we can find I mean, where can you not find gratitude? I mean, you got up this morning, right? Um, you, you, you and I were able to wash our hair this morning, right, Diane? You know, we have clean water to do that in. We have clean water to make tea with this morning, you know, and on and on and on. Think of all the people in this world that don't have those very simple things. So I have my health. I get to walk around today and, and go places and do things. Um, you know, the smallest things we can be grateful for. This this crisis is a train wreck, but it's also a teaching. And so I think that's what we have to keep in mind. What am I being asked to learn today? What am I being asked to do today? And that's the question that I, I ask myself usually when I get quiet and I'm in you know, in that moment, which you also recommend that people to do, for people to do, at least take a few minutes to walk, be quiet, develop some kind of contemplative or or meditation practice, which has really helped me a lot, you know, over the past few years. I mean, I've really relied on, on that as a tool. I just, I, I don't think people can be resilient if they don't have that time of stillness every single day. And it doesn't have to be a half hour or 20 minutes, just the time of being still. You know, when I was down in in, uh, in West Texas this week, a friend and I, we drove up to southern New Mexico and we just drove to this very quiet place along the Rio Grande River. And, um, you know, we're driving along this little hill that's above the river. And I said, just stop. We're on the dirt road. Just stop. And would you turn off the ignition? And she did. And we just sat there for 10 minutes in silence, listening to the doves. And for me, you know, the tears just started to flow because for many reasons, I'm so grateful for this. Grateful I can hear them. Grateful that they're still here. Sad that they may not be in another year or two, you know. Uh, so, so in that moment, that that those 10 minutes were worth 10 hours of meditation as far as i'm concerned it was a beautiful experience right and it's important to take note of those experiences when you're able to have them and feel that gratitude and and also when i'm in those quiet moments instead of saying you know oh please help me with this or you know begging or pleading for help yeah. which sometimes you get in, get into that mode i've tried to shift that to where okay i'm listening Mm-hmm. you know, tell me what I should do yes. or, or give me a sign or something like that. And I'll say, okay, I'm listening. I'm open. I'm listening. Yes. And, and I've been amazed at some of the the messages I get and the, and the yes. answers. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And, you know, um, I know that Nadia Bowles-Weber is um, involved to some extent with Unity. She's a Lutheran pastor in Denver. And oh, yes. she she um, made a little, there's a little YouTube of her recently. And she talks about, you know, prayer is not a setup where you put your little nickel into God's gumball machine and ask for a certain color and then you get it. You know, it's it's really more about this web of connection as you pray for people and as you pray for yourself and as you open in these moments of quiet surrender, then you really are in that time connected with all that is. That's such a beautiful thought. I love that. And she's great. I've read a couple of her books, and I believe she's going to be on the cover of Unity Magazine coming up. Nice. I'll, have to, I'll have to ask Katie, uh, our editor. But yeah, she she's incredible. So I wanted to talk to you, too. Um, you, you had a great chapter in the book here about happiness. And I was having a debate about my husband about with this where, you know, people are trying so hard to be happy. And I said, well, can't, can't you shoot for contentment? Is it okay to be, to be content, you know, just for where you are instead of, you know, hoping for, I think sometimes we think happiness is like this big thing with fireworks and all of that. Right. And, uh, and you had a real interesting take on that. Yeah. Um, in fact, Andrew and I wrote a book um, a couple of years ago, Return to Joy. And we differentiated in there between happiness and joy. Happiness is circumstantial. You know, if I get a promotion, I'm happy. If I get a new car, I'm happy. If I get a new boyfriend, I'm happy. And on and on and on. But, um, you know, joy is different. You know, happiness comes and goes, but joy is that inner core, that spiritual core inside of us that just doesn't get rocked. And one of my heroes in talking about this is Viktor Frankl, who survived Auschwitz and, you know, went through hellish years and experiences there. And yet he was able to connect on a regular basis with that inner core. And, you know, I could maybe actually say that he's one of the most joyful people I've ever met. Um, I've not met, but, but I've ever seen, uh, I've seen a movie about him and he's just this bubbling person who's so grateful and so in love with life because he was able to see the difference between happiness and joy. And so that core, that spiritual core of joy is always there, whether we're happy or whether we're not. And a big part of that, um, and especially uh, Viktor Frankl wrote about this too, you know, man's search for meaning yes. and, you know, being able to have meaning in your life for a, what is my purpose? You know, yes. what, what am I here that I'm supposed to be doing? And I saw this really clearly with my father, where when he was working, he spent his whole career um, as a social services worker in, in Florida. Um, dealing mostly with the elderly. And, you know, he did this for years. And then when he retired, he he declined very quickly after that, because for him, the meaning was being of service, being able to help these people, you know, and he felt and he felt that so strongly. And, and it was really sad to see him lose that meaning. And I, I think we forget that, you know, we're, we're in such a, the search for the consumerism happiness, what we're sold on, what it's supposed to be, that we're supposed to be happy with all these things and cars and the big house and all of that. But really, it's meaning, right? 
Absolutely. And thank you for bringing me back to that word, because that is where we find joy. Um, Frankel said that the people in Auschwitz who were able to find the tiniest bit of meaning in their daily lives were the ones who were more resilient. And, you know, that is what this crisis is calling us to. What matters most to you? What do you really value? What's really important to you from your heart? You know, and and so where does that take you? Where does that love of of purpose take you? Um, and I just don't think we can sink into despair permanently when we are in love with meaning and finding it on a regular basis in our lives. Right. And moving away from those temporary things that give you just that little you know, that blip of happiness. Well, well, the, the car is great, but then after a couple of weeks, it's just a car. Right. It's, right. You know, <laughs> yeah. Maybe a Mercedes, mean, but it's just a car, you know? Yeah. And go off and um, have your ice cream cone uh, or, you know, go have a nice date or have a spa day. You know, it's, it, it's okay. That's just happiness. Don't, don't think that you have to be in joy all the time, but don't get sidetracked into believing that happiness is the end game. And we're kind of sold on that, though, isn't it? I mean, oh, totally. Yeah. you know, we're supposed to think positively. We're supposed to be happy and, you know, think positive thoughts. And I, I just don't see how that's even possible to ask people to do, you know. <laughs> Well, also, Every day. <laughs> yeah, this culture, you know, you, you pick up the newspaper, look at, watch TV, and you see all these happiness indices, you know, it's like, oh, well, Douglas County, Colorado is now the, the healthiest place in the United States, or uh, Bhutan is the happiest country, you know, well, great, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased for them. Um, but you know, how many of these people are really experiencing joy on a regular basis or even know what that means? Um, right. we're, we're a very um, unhappiness phobic culture. You know, it's like be happy, be happy all the time and don't mess. Don't mess with my party. Don't rain on my parade. Right. That whole NIMBY, you know, not in my backyard yes. thing as yes. long <laughs> as long as I'm OK. And I've even had that conversation I, recently with someone who had very different views on on the whole situation that we're in right now. And I said, well, well can't you see what's happening? He's like, well, my 401k is up and everything's great for me. And, and, and I just was like, well, does that mean screw everybody else? Because yeah. you're okay. You yeah. know, and kind of moving us out of that mindset of, yeah, of course we want to take care of ourselves and we love our families and all of that. But but doesn't it, isn't it supposed to kind of, you know, infiltrate out and spider web out to everybody else where we should be helping each other that we're all okay. Right. And that's where the, you know, the big, the disparate of, I forget the word I'm saying it wrong. You know, the difference between there's so many people with the, the haves want to keep what they have, you know, and right. we don't care. We don't care about the have nots, the wealth disparity. That was what I was trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the big difference in that where all those people, it seems like they're just caring about what they have and forget about everybody else when in, when it really is affecting all of us. And, you know, it's, it's uh, um, as I look at the current administration, I have to say, you know, that we now have a leader who is probably more narcissistic than any president we've ever had. And I say that's a mirror of us. That's a mirror of our shadow. 
because, you know, it's all about me, me, me for most Americans. And so now we have the pinnacle of that in the White House. Um, it's very scary. I, I saw a headline over the weekend where some gated community in Los Angeles is doing, get this, a crowdfunding to stop a homeless shelter in their community. Right, right. Not in my backyard. We don't want that here. We don't want that here. Yeah. We'll like, even raise money not to have that here. Isn't that crazy? I mean, yeah. what it, it's that's where you just kind of throw up your hands and you say, what's happening, you know? And then how are our dreams going to change? You, you write about, you know, replacing the myth of the American dream. You know, well, for, for a while, that was everybody's dream. We wanted to have the house and the gated community and the car and everybody to be happy and, you know, or our families to be happy, which I think is okay, but that's crumbling, right? Because that yes. that dream is not a reality for so many people. That's absolutely right. And, um, you know, a headline this morning um, that older Americans are retiring into homelessness. Um, you know, we all know about student debt and young people who go get a college degree and they're going to be in debt till they're 85 or something. They can't possibly buy a home. Um, we've got 7 million people in this country who are getting their cars repossessed because they can't afford payments. And so that whole thing of this the American dream, it's dying. And for many people, it's already dead. Um, and, and so what is to replace that? Well, I think it starts with finding meaning and purpose. And, and then we get perspective on, well, maybe I don't have the, the great 401k, but I have this over here. And, you know, it's really all about priorities and values and what matters most to us. Right. And I think we can all relate to that. I mean, most of the people that I know are in debt of some kind, you know, whether it's student debt, car loan debt. I mean, I, I live in Southern California, so I'm not affording a home here. <laughs> there's like, yeah. there's yeah. no way, you know, yeah. at, at this point. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been thinking, well, how is my dream going to change? Or, or is that even really an attainable dream? Or do I even want that home? I mean, there's a lot of responsibility that, that comes with that. And I think that that one of the um, gifts in this crisis is it's causing people to really look at what's important to them and to stop aspiring to these things that they can't attain anymore and looking at what they can attain and how can they experience joy in their lives with uh, whatever, whether that's renting, whether that's taking public transportation instead of having a car, um, you know, changing our lifestyle, downsizing in a way that provides less stress and more meaning. Well, I'm so glad you're out there with your voice, you know, talking to people, waking people up. And I'm really seeing it with or a need with the younger generation. And I'm, I'm sure if I look back, I was as bad as my nephew is now. He's 11 years old. And, you know, his main concern is it's all consumerism. You know, he wants right. the Nikes. Right. He wants the $200, you know, outfit and the shoes and all of that. And then yep. I just wonder at, at which point or at which generation will that not become a priority? Well, I see a lot of millennials who have really readjusted their priorities because they're looking at being in debt forever and they're looking at, I can't afford a house. And um, many of them are really taking alternative paths that are meaningful to them. Um, I have some wonderful millennial friends who who are organic gardeners and that's, that's what they want to do for their, you know, their big dream is to open a food co-op. 
because that's really important to them. And, you know, yeah, they went through a teenage period where they just wanted everything, but now they're really looking at what, what matters and they're looking at the, the future that in a sense they don't even have. Well, that's true. I mean, if you do look around, there are people and younger people that are are trying to make those shifts. I mean, I'm, I have friends that have chickens, you know, in, right. in the middle of the city where right. a few years ago, you would have never thought that. And people are asking those questions about mm-hmm. what's happening with our food supply and, yes. you know, growing our own. I mean, I've attempted my own garden with varying degrees of success with that, you know, but I'm, I'm trying. And, and living your passion. I'm sure, you know, Jill Angelo. Oh, yes. Uh, Who, you know, who has this wonderful, wonderful rescue facility in Illinois called the Moondog Farm. And it's not just about dogs. It's about other animals as well. And I visited Moondog Farm. And I I, I mean, it is just so incredible to see somebody live their passion in that way and give so much of themselves to other living beings. Um, And, and, you know, I, I know many people like this who are living their passion in these times, well aware of where everything is going and how dire the situation is, but doing what they're called to do in their world right now. And I'm glad you mentioned Jill because she's a good friend. And so if anyone would like to check out her work with Moondog Farm, and leave a donation. I'm sure that would be much yes. appreciated. <laughs> and, and dog farm, yes. And supporting the work that she's doing. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. And I've really enjoyed reading your work. And you're an important voice that's out there in the world. So I'm really grateful that you're there. Thank you. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm.